Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Hey, it's Matt from the Direct-to-Video Connoisseur here. Thanks again for listening to the DTVC podcast. Before we jump in, I wanted to quickly let you know that my new novel, A Girl and a Gun, is available on Amazon now, both on Kindle and paperback. It follows Justin, a successful writer whose past as a scriptwriter for a fetish porn site comes back to haunt him and threatens to derail his career. As he's picking up the pieces, he gets an opportunity to make a movie called A Girl and a Gun with a rom-com star. Justin may have bitten off more than he can chew, though, because she's notoriously difficult to work with. If you're interested, you can find the link on our webpage, along with the link to my first novel, Chad and Accounting. If you have any questions, please reach out, and I thank you for the support. Now, on to the podcast. Welcome back to the Direct-to-Video Connoisseur Podcast. As always, it's Matt here, and I have a very special guest this week. We have a host of the Kilmer Cats podcast, Francis Rizzo III. Uh, welcome, Francis. Hi, how's it going? Good, good. I was going to say welcome back, but you this is your first time on our podcast. <laughs> it is my first time, but we have uh, spoken many times on my podcast. Yes, yes. And so you do you do the Kilmer Cast podcast, which is a, uh, you know covers the films of Val Kilmer. Uh, what, what got you into Val Kilmer? Well, I mean... You know, for me, it all started with Real Genius. Real Genius was a film that uh, spoke to me when I was, you know, a child. Uh, it really, when I watched it, I was like, well, this is what college is going to be like. And so, you know, I was, it wasn't exactly the way it worked out, but, you know, it was what I wanted from college. And I just, I loved his appeal as an actor. He just, he had this charm, this sense of humor. Everything about him was just, you know, so cool. You know, he was, he was, he was the ultimate in cool as Chris Knight. And, you know, from there, you know, he, he's done some really great roles over the years. I always just found him very uh, fascinating, very interesting because, you know, um, he never quite did the normal thing as an, as an actor. He, his career path took some very strange routes and uh, I think he could have, been one of a Tom Cruise. Um, and I think there were moments where he touched on that, but, uh, he also took some very other, uh, less, uh, <laughs> appealing routes as well. Uh, some films that maybe he might not have chosen otherwise. And, uh, it, it's created a very interesting career to follow over the years. 
Yeah, you know, the Tom Cruise analogy is interesting because, you know, when you when you read about Tom Cruise, it's, it, there is a very, like, calculated approach that he had to his career where he mm. was just taking movies. And, and it, you're right, it almost seems like with Val Kilmer that he did the same thing. <clears throat> Only with different roles, like that, you know, like the, where where Tom Cruise would be like, oh, I'm going to do this next blockbuster thing, or I'm going to work with this director that I have to work with. You know, Kilmer's like, I really want to do this role. This is a, you know, like, I, I don't think you could see maybe now in Cruise's career he could maybe try to do something like a Wonderland, but that's like just a very Kilmer role. Yeah, the closest I think you might find in uh, in Cruise's uh, filmography is perhaps Magnolia. Magnolia was one where he really went outside his normal comfort zone, and as a result, it was fantastic performance and a fantastic film. Um, but you know, Cruise never missed really. Like, I, it's hard to find a film where he was like, "Oh, that didn't work." Whereas with Kilmer, he took big swings, and sometimes it didn't quite work. <laughs> Right. Yeah, that's that is the big thing I, I noticed. Yeah, because it is interesting with Cruz. Like when you look at his filmography, it's like every big director, like every one that that's, that you know of, he's he's worked with them once. So it's Scorsese or um, Coppola, um, you know, Spielberg. Whereas like, yeah, Kilmer, it's like like you said, he takes I mean, when it works, it's amazing. Like, you know, like like Wonderland or The Doors, you know, it's like when he when he pulls it off. Um, and, and I think the other thing, too, is like, you know, a, a lot of podcasts are, are dedicated to a certain certain actor or director or you know something like that um and, and sometimes it's like oh well what what you know what made you interested in that one but it's interesting when, when i listen to kilmer cast and i think about the roles that he does or i watch him in something where it's just like yeah no it makes sense like val kilmer is a very compelling uh figure that i think maybe because we've gotten a little far from when he was really big you know when he was doing batman when he was you know kind of you know it wasn't considered crazy to have him as batman it was like no val kilmer is a big star he's somebody if, if, if it's not michael keaton yeah val kilmer would be a good batman um that we kind of forget just how 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 important he was as an actor yeah you don't often see uh i mean now an actor go from the heights i mean you have to remember his first two films were both massive hits he came out strong with real genius and with top secret and then kind of worked into some more unusual roles he things like you know kill me again and um and but then became a box office draw then like you said batman like batman is as big as it gets and then his career took a different direction and you know you don't often see somebody take those ebbs and flows that have happened inside of valkyrie's career and then now you have this late career renaissance with and what's interesting it's not because of, of performance but because of who he is because then you have val the documentary where people went oh we we forgot we like him because we we, we saw his story as a whole in that film and people went oh yeah val kilmer is a guy we really enjoyed watching and we want to catch up with again yeah yeah and there is almost like a a a, a sense of people wanting things from the past again too i've noticed i mean i mean just looking at kind of like the film industry now where it's like um you know it was just marvel blockbusters and now it seems like mm -hmm. coming out of the i'm not saying we're coming out of the pandemic but it seems like now that we can go to the movies again um we're seeing things like a, a romantic comedy with j-lo and mm -hmm. owen wilson or we're seeing like a military based you know like family drama with Channing Tatum and a dog and you know the kind of movies that, that were staples in the theater a long time ago that kind of have gone away and it's yeah, very like traditional films uh, you know we we hadn't seen in a while 
Yeah, and I mean, yes, Hollywood still they're still playing it safe. Like it's not like they're giving us new actors and, and and actresses for these roles. They're just going with old mainstays. But it does feel like in in that vein, like Kilmer's one that you know as people are starting to kind of go back to things and and um, you know, and I think also too with like a new Batman movie coming out, people sometimes forget that he was one of the Batman. Mm. Batman is that what we say or Batman's? I don't. <laughs> one of the Batman, yes. I mean, and the sad thing is, and unfortunately, as a fan of Val Kilmer, is that. Um, you're going to, you see a lot of this nostalgia and they're bringing back things that he was involved in. Willow is coming back on Disney plus with a new series. Top gun is coming back with a new movie this year. We think maybe, um, you know, <laughs> hopefully. Um, and I know that he is in top gun too, uh, but he's not as far as I'm aware involved at all in Willow, which is, uh, the new Willow series. And I think unfortunately due to his, his poor health, I don't think he can be very involved in these things. I know I'm really curious to see what he did in Top Gun because I know he's in it. I don't know how much he was involved. And I know that Tom Cruise said he had to be a part of that movie in order for it to be made. So I'm really, really want to see it. And I've been dying to to see this movie now for almost two years now. Um, Unfortunately, I don't think he's able to take advantage of this groundswell of nostalgia for the works that he's done in the past. Yeah, yeah, which is, which is, like you said, is too bad because it is. Um, I think, uh, like you said, like like for Top Gun, I think Tom Cruise saying, "Well, we need to have him in the movie." Then, yeah, it's it's the fact that he can't just go in and probably, he probably couldn't be the part that Tom Cruise wanted him to be in that film. Yeah, it's 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 sad, um, and especially the, then with the movie we watched today, uh, you know, you can it's you get that feeling where it's like, well, that's the guy I enjoyed, but it's not the guy I enjoyed. Yeah, no, that's for sure. Yeah, I think that that that's that's a good point there. As we as we, we can just tuck it up, pay dirt. Now, one thing too about your show, kind of talking about like sort of the the history of the you know, the recent history of the movie industry. Um, one one aspect that that um that you do that I really like is the Kilmer in context, where you kind of look at when the film came out and then what you know songs, movies, and TV shows were popular at that time. Um, and I think it's it's kind of interesting with the movie industry when 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 you do that because almost like we can see the evolution of it from mm. when it was more of a, um you know there are a lot of things available a lot of movies that were in the theater to this big tent Marvel movie blockbuster thing that we have now. Yeah, I love I'm one of my biggest things in life is research. I love to do research. Um, you know, all throughout my life, it's just I started in journalism and the idea of finding information is very exciting to me. I, I love to find something new. And so each time we uh, look at a movie on the Kilmer cast and I'm like, well, now I get to go back in time and dig into a time. It was even, it was a little, I have to say it was a little more exciting when they were older films when I was younger, because I had less of a firsthand experience with the time frame around that, those films. And so I would find a film and I'd be like, that was in the top 10. And I said, wow, I've never even heard of this movie. Yeah. And it was one of the top 10 films in America. And so the, I, I love that idea that something can be that big, that millions of Americans went to go see this movie in theaters. And now if you told people about it, they'd be like, what? I don't even, I've never even heard of that. What is that? And that's, this fleeting, very ephemeral idea of pop culture. We like to think that it's all very permanent and very important to us, but give it a couple of years and it goes away. Yeah, it, it's very fascinating how, like you said, because it's like some some of these movies that you talk about, right? and I can't think of one off the top of my head that I hadn't heard of, but it's like a lot of times you'll mention a movie that 
uh, on, on your show that was, you know, top 10 at that year or that, that, that time period that has big names in it too. Um, mm-hmm. and, and I mean, I guess this does happen sometimes with, with, um, with IMDb, you know, with people's, um, IMDb profiles where it's like, you know, Bruce Willis, you know, you go through his IMDb in the nineties and it's like, he did some movies that seem really big that it's like, I, you know, I don't even remember this being out. I don't yeah. remember this being around. Um, but yeah, there he is in that movie. I mean, we, we think of him now as doing these direct-to-video movies a lot. But but uh, it's always interesting to yeah to to see that these these films that were big at a time when we were alive and you know we would have seen the commercials for them presumably or something like that. But mm-hmm. you know, don't don't know of them. And I think it's going to get even worse. Uh, this feeling of uh, forgetting forgetfulness because uh, you know I see and I, I mean I I believe it's true that streaming content is even more forgettable than what was in theaters because you don't have that buildup of seeing trailers and seeing commercials and seeing posters trail streaming films show up one day on your stream and then you forget about them because you watch them and you binged it and it's over and and the next week it's gone and so you're going to have movies like red notice i think that was i mean honestly i'm saying that and not as a joke i think it was called red notice that red ryan reynolds movie that I don't think anybody even thinks about and it was if you had put that in theaters it would have probably been a blockbuster but because it was on netflix i think it was netflix yeah. <laughs> you know, um it just came and went yeah because a lot of times especially with netflix it's like they um the netflix approach to these movies is to generate this huge amount of like twitter social media buzz get it so it's like this thing that everybody thinks they should be in on and then yeah within weeks it seems like um with, with a lot of these too it seems i mean remember bird box was this huge is that was that what it was called bird box yeah, yeah. yeah. The, uh, the um Center. blind lady movie yes right <laughs> yes it's like there was this the whole thing and there were memes generated and and i mean i think there has been some um inve- you know like reporting done where they think that a lot of this social media buzz is, is generated within netflix itself and then it sort of just seems organic um mm. but you're right it's almost like it just goes away and I remember a lot of these movies when they were blockbusters in like the late 90s, early 2000s. Like, for example, TNT used to play them every weekend with their new mm-hmm. classics that they had. And, and, and they did. They existed. But also it seemed like, you know, everybody who had DVD collections would have a few of these kinds of movies, like, a, you know, U.S. Marshals or something like that. Like, a, you know, that, I mean, that's a, that's a movie that today, like a U.S. Marshals that, you know. Most people probably don't remember it anyway, but you know when you say U.S. Marshals, like, oh yeah, that's the sequel to The Fugitive. Okay, yeah, I, I know what you're talking about. Um, and and like you said, you know, everybody knew The Fugitive because it was big. But nowadays, yeah, a U.S. Marshals would be a direct-to-video stream that, like you said, people would be like, oh, I didn't know that that was out, and you know, forget <laughs> about it later. And it'd probably be on uh, U.S. Marshals three or four at this point because yeah, we'd get a bunch of those direct-to-video releases <laughs> afterwards, and uh, you know. I think I wonder because you know you obviously you being the DTV guy, um, will this streaming uh, you know revolution kill the franchise that the way we know it? Because think about movies like uh, The Marine, right? Like yeah. the Mar- how many how many editions of The Marine are there? Six? Right, right. Yeah, I think so. That um, doesn't happen on streaming. Right. Well, because the, the idea is, is that a lot of times what happens with these franchises that going to go from, you know, from like the main, you know, from the big screen to the direct to video realm is that there are scripts that are, are given to these you know, direct to video studios like Lionsgate or whoever. Um, and they look at them and say, oh, what if we repackage this as the Marine the four or something like that? And they think like, OK, if we attach it to that name, 
then people were more likely to stream it. Um, kind of the same way that, like, you know, the movie we're going to talk about where it's like, oh, I see Val Kilmer on the cover. Let me stream it and, mm-hmm. and you know, see what happens. And and so it's almost like they just they, they, they get a hold of the franchise and then they just take whatever they can and sort of morph it into the next film like the sniper <laughs> franchise is another one that just has tons of movies out and i think i think that's what happens is a lot of times if you see like multiple writing credits i think that's part of what it is it's like somebody submits the script and they say oh turn this into that and, and mm. they do that <laughs> yeah i i don't know if you you know when you have those i don't see those big numbers anymore on streaming you don't right. see the uh the franchise numbers grow and grow they come up with new names or they just use the same name and they just put a new subtitle on it like uh yes. uh to all the boys uh for whatever we're up to on netflix <laughs> yes exactly yeah and i mean that's part of it too i mean the netflix thing is really interesting i think because i think when netflix gets a movie so it's like okay i'm we're the ones releasing the movie they have complete control over it so it's like mm. i mean i think like finally the irishman is getting a criterion release yep. um but it was like before that you know, it was up to Netflix if they wanted to. And I don't know if they were releasing the other film that Scorsese did with them. Um, I can't think of the name. It was Rolling Thunder Review, the one that's like this mock. I've not seen any physical release of that yet. Yeah. And so, you know, if you're a Scorsese collector, um, you know, to not have a physical copy. But also Netflix determines what they want to do with the movie. Like um, there was a Dolph Lundgren movie um, called Larceny that they had the right, the releasing rights to for a long time. <laughs> and um, I was reviewing it for, for my site. And um, I think what happened was, I think they'd, they'd gotten rid of it as I was, after I'd done the, like fortunately I'd gotten the images, but um, they'd gotten rid of it. And there was a period of time between when they got rid of it and then it was picked up by Tubi in those places that it wasn't available anywhere. Mm. Um, you know, this is like a Dolph Lundgren movie from the, the mid 2010s that you couldn't find anywhere because they're not going to put it on dvd you know netflix unless they want to i mean they they do with some movies but um and i think that's the other problem with streaming whether it's netflix or amazon or or any of these ones is that they completely have control over the entire element which i guess is an issue too now we think with disney having all the rights to the fox films that they like to vault movies they like to prevent you know they they're probably going to start filtering movies to their streaming services and you can't find them anywhere either yeah, and I believe they're also taking them out of second-run theaters, so you can't even watch them in, in uh, you know, uh, the festivals and stuff like that, which is a real bummer because, you know, you want to see some of these films, these classic films on a big screen, uh, and you just can't do it anymore. Yeah, yeah, I'm trying to think. Um, I think it's Say Anything is one that, um, you know, a lot of indie theaters will like to play, like, you know, if it's like the 30th anniversary or something like that. Um, and again, with for the indie, the indie theater... When they play a movie like Say Anything, it gets people in there who normally wouldn't go to the indie theater, and then they start going to see things like, you know, I don't know, like there's that new Macbeth that's out now that one mm-hmm. of the Coen brothers there, something like that. But they, they're more likely to go in there and see that because they see the trailers, and they're like, oh, maybe I'll check that out. And what Disney wants is they want to completely remove that industry altogether because they want the ma- the big theater industry that they can have control over where they can say, okay, we've got a Marvel movie, a Star Wars movie, a Pixar movie, and a, a Disney regular movie and we can jam up 12 of the 14 theaters with those. And so now, you know, Warner brothers puts out a DC movie. They don't have a lot of screens left to work with. And so we can kind of just crush them completely. But what it does is it does hurt for us because that indie theater experience is that, you know, it's, it's fun, but it's also fun to be able to say like, you know, we, my, my friends and I saw the first star Trek movie in the theater, um, or we saw Lawrence of Arabia in the theater. Um, and, that was a, a situation where some releasing company was working with the big theaters to put those in there. But from a big theater standpoint, they don't want Lawrence of Arabia in their the- their theater because, I mean, we, I think barely a third of the, the, the theater that we were in 
was full and it was like way off in like the kind of the, the, the deep nether reaches of the, the theater. Like they, you know, we weren't anywhere near where the good ones were. And it was like, the, like the way it was designed, like it had the, the um, emergency exit was on like the right hand side to the right of the theater. And of course the emergency exit has to be lit up so you can see it to leave. So it's like <laughs> we're watching the movie with this big ray of like bright light right next to it, you know? So, you know, that's the kind of thing is that like an indie theater would know how to show a movie like that. Um, yeah. And so, yeah, it is kind of too bad that we have almost like these two forces where we've got Disney on the one hand who now they have their own streaming service, but then Netflix on the other. And, and yeah, it seems like that's who's getting squeezed out. Yeah. All the guys who want to watch a movie who uh, just don't just want to watch a good movie and, and like, <laughs> yeah. and, and not just watch and, you know every blockbuster that comes through. want to watch an old classic film. Yeah. Yeah, because, I mean, you know, Lawrence of Arabia on the big screen, or even Star Trek, even the first Star Trek yeah. on the big screen, it's like, you know, and, and like even to say anything, you know, if you're in a crowd of people, which, I mean, I guess now we're not talking about necessarily being in crowds all the time, but if you're <laughs> with a bunch of people who grew up with a movie like that, and it's, it's almost like people know the lines, you know, people, you know, everybody's ex- waiting for the big scene with, um, you know, with In Your Eyes and... and 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 to see it all on the big screen like that, it's an experience that you can't get. Even if you have like the absolute best like at home theater experience, it's not the same. Um, and yeah, it is kind of a shame to think about like the indie theaters starting to kind of you know that the industry is trying to move them out. Yeah, I mean, I first time I saw Car- uh, Casablanca, I saw it in actually uh, Radio City Music Hall. They had a uh, screening of it there where they showed Carrot Blanca beforehand, the Bugs Bunny cartoon, and it was amazing to watch. Casablanca in a huge theater like Radio C Music Hall with tons of people and it was just like film fans and you know and I wonder you know as we move more towards uh, whatever this new movie industry will be is the movie going experience going to be more of a niche kind of premium experience where it is about that you know these are the people who re- are love film and only want to go see film, you know, big capital F film. Um, or is it going to be, you know, where everybody else who wants to go see the Marvel movie will be in one theater. The film people will go to another theater. I, I, I don't like to separate those two because I love Marvel films and I love, you know, films. Um, <laughs> but um, it's definitely, it's clear that there's two different uh, groups here because you can't, Unfortunately, they can't coexist. It's it's a, it's a truth. If ever only if only get thing the only thing we get is Marvel films, and we can't have, you know, cinema. I'm sorry. It's just the money will not be there to spend, and the audience will not be there to go see it. We need to have a mix, and unfortunately, those two don't seem to go together well. Um, and but maybe that's where we're headed. Is where one half of the theater will be your blockbusters, the other half will be your cine- cinephiles, and never the twain shall meet. <laughs> And they'll main between the two of them, they'll keep things going. <laughs> yeah, well, and and I mean, I think there's that thing too, where where Disney has so many franchises now, where they are. I mean, you know, their goal ultimately is to choke out their competitors. They want yeah. to make it so, you know, if there's a DC Wonder Woman movie that comes out, or or Batman or something, that it doesn't get as many screens. But um, but yeah, that's the, the you know, if from the movie theaters standpoint, if they have a choice between Casablanca and the new Batman or whatever it is, or, you know, um, Fast and Furious, I guess is another franchise. It's not Disney. You know, they're going to choose that one. Yeah. Um, Casablanca's not selling any toys. Right. It's not selling any <laughs> toys. Right. And, 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 you know, how many, you know, like you said, the cinephiles are the only ones who are going to go. And, um, and I think too, maybe from the, you know, 
when we saw Lawrence of Arabia, because it wasn't like kind of the indie theater in downtown, um, it was kind of here in South Philly and it was, you know, it was, it was the big IMAX theater that had, um, you know, big screens and stuff like that, that, you know, people, you have to, you had to drive to get there. I mean, there is a bus that gets there, but it's not, it's not like the, the indie theaters that are like right near the subway um, or in neighborhoods where, where, you know, the people live that are more likely to watch them, I guess, whereas this is kind of out away from houses. And I think that's the other part of it, right? Is that like, um, you know, that the movie theaters, you know, the, the, the movie theaters already hurting the AMC chains or whatever, they're already hurting. And it's like, well, do we want a movie in there that's not going to get a lot of people to come or do we want to try to bet on this blockbuster? And, you know, even if it's a matinee, they're still going to get twice as many people. And, mm. It's a shame because, like you said, I mean, going to see, you know, Casablanca, like I, I one that I remember is a taxi driver played at the indie theater where I grew up in, in Portsmouth, New Hampshire. That's the only Scorsese th- film I've seen on the big screen. And um, and like you said, it was all cinephiles there watching it, um, just sort of taking it in in a way that you, it's, it's very different from a Marvel movie experience. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's 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 an involved experience. It's not so much of a passive, you know, um, you know, it, it's people who want to be a part of the experience and you know i don't think i mean again i hate to talk down to people who enjoy mobile moves because i enjoy them myself and like i i say all this as i think about the fact that tomorrow i'm likely to buy a ticket to jackass forever uh so like i'm, I'm not exactly i'm not an elitist when it comes to film i just you know i don't appreciate the idea of like you said them choking out film in order to for commerce to succeed yeah, and I think that's the thing. Yeah, you're right. Like, it does sound like you're – right. It, it, we don't want it to sound like we're knocking the Marvel movies. Like, I agree. It, it, that's its own kind of fun cinematic experience. So I will say with the Marvel movies because they're so long that I always have – I'm usually <laughs> – like, I see the – if I see anything over two hours – I mean, we did do Lawrence of Arabia, but the thing with Lawrence of Arabia – is it has a um an intermission intermission yeah so you know my buddy played that intermission so perfectly where because we both got like the the jumbo <laughs> cop uh, uh soda and, and popcorn mm-hmm. and i had like about half of my soda left and i was like i think i'll be fine for the rest of the movie whereas my buddy dumped his out and got the free refill <laughs> and i was like man that was a real that was like a, a better Pro move, move. <laughs> exactly exactly yeah i remember watching uh hateful eight and really appreciating what an intermission can bring to a movie <laughs> <laughs> yes, exactly. And, and I mean, these Marvel movies don't have that. And, um, you know, if you're going, I think if you go anything over over three hours, if you go in, in the three hour interest, I think that Infinity War one might have been closing in on three hours. Yeah. But you, you have to I mean, yeah, the, 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 that's the thing, too, I think that we forget is that the movie experience in the 60s, you know, going on, because I mean, the, the idea was, was that when the TV came, that that was going to kill the movie industry and the theater industry. And that's when the movie industry decided to go bigger and create experiences that, that you know you can only have in the theater and it seems like almost like because tv's gotten so much better that the the industry feels like it's got to go that much bigger mm. and i think that like you said there is a place for indie films to be screened in a theater that it's still an experience like it's still better than watching it. even if you have a really great tv setup and you've got like a really great sound system you know um, i'm, I'm kind of hoping to try to see that the new macbeth movie um at the local um uh, indie theater yeah here in, in mm-hmm. philadelphia and i think just seeing it on the big screen you know for me even though that's not going to be something that's going to have like all the flashy effects that you know just having it in that experience i think is still important yeah, I haven't yet gone to one of those uh, Screen X screenings or anything like that. I, I keep seeing them. The only time I ever get a uh, IMAX or a 
3D is when there's an early showing and I can't get into an early showing of a regular film. I'll be like, fine, I'll pay the four bucks on my Regal Unlimited to get into the uh, the 3D version, whatever. Um, I, I'm curious how the feeling of those giant screens is on those screen X's, although I haven't yet to been in, influenced enough by a film to say, yes, I'm going to pay to go see it. Right, yeah. No, yeah. That's good in your case that, yeah, you've got, I've got the, um, the, the Regal Pass. Like, so for me, because I, I, I haven't been to a, th- a film, actually, the last time I saw a film was, I believe it was 2019, late 2019 was the 40th anniversary of Star Trek, the first Star Trek. And so, um, so it's been a few years for me. And I, w- I was looking at films, I was, I was thinking about when that new Fast and Furious movie came out last year, um, you know, when kind of the first round of vaccinations came out and uh, I was fully vaxxed and it seemed like everything was good. I thought about it and then I was like, I don't, I didn't have the energy to, to go, but um, mm-hmm. you know, now I'm thinking about pushing myself. Cause now I'm like looking at the indie theater and I'm like, Oh, that Macbeth looks pretty good. Yeah, it does. Yeah. And that's a, why tomorrow I, I've been dying to go see this jackass movie. And I'm like, <laughs> if it was on streaming, I wouldn't go see it, but you know, I gotta go see it. So. <laughs> yeah. And that's an interesting thing you mentioned about sort of the experience in making movies a little bit more permanent, because I do remember the first jackass movie, my friend and I saw that in a the theater and there was kind of, I, I think seeing a movie in the theater, there's a whole sort of event process with it mm. that you go out with, you know, if you go with friends or even if you go by yourself, but you know, there's sort of like the, Oh, going to the cafe or the diner or something after and talking about it. And um, there's like a whole thing associated with it that I think streaming doesn't always have. Absolutely. I mean, it's funny. I was thinking about this uh, because we, uh, I love to go see uh, Broadway yeah. and and my daughter wanted to go see this show called Six, which is a story about uh, Henry VIII and his wives. And so we were looking at tickets for it. And tickets for Broadway are unbelievably expensive. I mean, it's ridiculous. And the show, um, we're talking like 300 something dollars a piece for these tickets. And there's three of us, so it's going to cost us a, a good chunk to go to see this play. And so I, we're looking it up, and I see that Six runs 80 minutes long. And I'm like... 80 minutes. I'm not paying almost a thousand dollars to watch an 80 minute musical. You know, and I can go to the movies for, for right. about 15 bucks and watch a three hour show, you know, and like, <laughs> uh, and I'm like, I mean, and I understand the value of live theater. I get it costs money to put these on. People have to be paid and there's all the music and everything like that. But I was like 80 minutes. That is way too short. I mean, most Broadway shows are about three hours long. So right. 80 minutes with, ridiculously short and so then i was thinking about it so because we don't live in the city so i would be taking a train for about an hour into the city then getting to the theater and then watching the show we would actually be traveling longer than we would be watching the show and so the funny thing is though when i think about movies and then i look at them i look at the app and i'm like Oh, this movie's three hours. Do I really want to go over there for three hours and sit through it? It's like the complete opposite. I'm like, you know, like, like, you know, like I, I, if if this, if I had, if I had to make the effort to get there, I want it to be worth it. But at the same time, I don't want it to be more time than I really want to spend with these characters or this storyline. So, like, when I see, like today, pay dirt, right. about an hour and a half, I'm like, perfect. Right. No story really needs to be more than 90 minutes um, you know only a story like Endgame or you know where you you're building 10 years of story into one thing right then maybe you have to stretch it out a bit but most things can be done much quicker <laughs> yeah I always say that like with comic books especially you know growing up reading a lot of these stories that some of these were based off it's like there's no comic book movie it feels like anyway that that 
can't be told in 90 minutes um, mm-hmm. or at least two hours. <laughs> um, yeah, I definitely agree with you there. And I think there is almost like sense too, like for, for me, it, you know, I, I guess getting a little bit older now in my 40s, it's like the thought of sitting in, in the theater for that long <laughs> does kind of like, oh, and but it's funny because I'm, I'm kind of getting like that, too, because we have um, so we live right near the sports complex here in Philadelphia. And like, you know, sometimes like I'll look on StubHub and see like there's a Sixers game that's like has eight dollar tickets mm-hmm. um, on a Tuesday night. But then it's like, you know, even only living one subway stop away, I'm like. <laughs> Man, you know, I just got done work. Do I? And then I work from home too, so it's not like I'm commuting. But it's like, <laughs> man, it's six o'clock at night. I got just got done work. Do I really want to go sit until like ten o'clock at, a, at you know for a basketball game? Uh, but then I watch it on TV and I'm like, oh, I, I should have gone. This was a really good one, you know. And so, um, yeah, and I think it's kind of like that too with movies where you're like, you see all these really great ones and they all look really good. But then it's, I, I think that's one of the things with with getting people in the theater now is that um, there is almost a sense of like it's easier to, to, to watch it from home. And like you said, like with Broadway, I think part of with Broadway's appeal is that it is Broadway. And, you know, they've got so many people that go into the city, like from far away that are probably mm-hmm. just like, this is my only chance to see a Broadway play. I'll plunk down the cash for it. Um, and, but you're right, like for, for yourself and, and even for me, like if I was going to go up to, to, to New York, it would be like a, you know, it's, it'd be, it's like almost two hours for me to get up there by train um, that, yeah, I'd be like, Oh, a thousand dollars. We can't afford that or 600, you know, my wife and I'd be 600, you know? And, but I think that's what it is. I think they, they probably get a huge market there for people that are like, you know, coming in from, you know, Des Moines or wherever that are like, you know, let's I'm here on the card. Yeah. We'll, we'll throw it on the card. We'll pay it off later. You know, and, and it, this is, it, we'll always say, we'll always be able to say we took it a Broadway show. Yeah, I've started to really make that um, that return on investment calculation in my head when I look at time, and I'm like, do I really want to spend this much time? Especially, and like this is what sucks about going to the movies, is that it's not the time of the movie, it's the trailers, it's the previews, it's everything. I would love it if I could walk in the theater, sit down, movie starts, and then I leave when it's over. But it it takes much longer than that, and that's where I'm like, you know, I can't I can't argue that streaming isn't great because I turn on streaming and then when it's done, I'm done. I don't have to worry about all these ads, all this trailer stuff. And it, I mean, I get it. The money has to be made, but it doesn't make my experience better. Yeah. Well, that and also, too, you don't have to block off the full amount of time. I mean, I started um, because I was, you know, looking at Macbeth online and saw that, oh, there was one from 2015 that I didn't know about that Michael Fassbender and uh, um, Marion Cotillo Mm -hmm. did. And I I started it last night and started to fall asleep. And it's like, well, (laughs) just put, you know, hit hit the stop button and and come back to it. And you can't do that when you're in the theater. It's like you paid for this time period. It's like if you fall asleep, you're out, you know, like that's it. You've lost it. So I have to admit, have, like that's where that Regal Unlimited Pass is awesome because I went to see Green Knight. I sat through about a half hour of it and went, I hate this movie, and I walked out. And I didn't feel bad because I didn't pay for the ticket. Right, that is awesome. <laughs> that's a good point. Excellent. Well, well, yeah, well, why don't we, we'll get into pay dirt here. Um, and, sure. of course, I don't know about you, but every time I see the name pay dirt, I just think of Ford Fairlane and, um, you know, hit pay dirt for cater <laughs> or with pay dirt. I was thinking of the candy bar uh, payday for some reason. Oh, yes, that's another good one. <laughs> and which is odd because I don't eat paydays. I don't I don't like nuts. So, uh, But for some reason, that jumps right into my head. <laughs> because whenever you go to, to check out at any place, they're just staring you right mm. in the face. It's just, and it's a big, bright yellow and orange wrapper. Yeah, it's right yeah. there. Boom. Yeah, against the white especially. Like most candy bars are Snickers or like Milky Way that have like that, that darker wrapper. And this is like mm. this big white that you're right. It just stands right out there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Well, one of the interesting things about this one, actually, because um, somebody was asking me about, you know, 
this movie like well what what is you know what's the draw or something and and so my thinking is when we're talking about the time limit you know it's only like i think it's like 85 minutes long and there is a sense i think when you when you see kilmer and and luke goss has has a bit of a name in the dtv industry that like okay this could be really good and it's like with that 85 minute span it's almost like okay 25 minutes in uh, I don't know what's happening here, but I only got an hour left, you know, and then it's like, okay, I hit the 45 minute mark. Well, I'm already halfway through when I finish it off. Um, and I think that's how these streaming movies sometimes get people. Cause I don't know about you, but I, I wasn't the biggest fan of this one. It's not a bad film. I mean, it, I have to say it's competently made. Right. There's nothing about it. That's particularly interesting. It, it's, it's just, it's, it's there. It, and then like, and like you said, it's it's a a version that you would just see on streaming and say, I know that guy, I know that guy, that girl's kind of hot. Uh, <laughs> wait, I saw I watched half the film. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, I mean, and maybe I should warn people right now because once we start talking about the film, we'll be talking about everything that happens in it. So, spoiler alert: if you really want to watch this, um, you know, and you don't want to know how it ends, um, maybe pause this here um, because with podcasts like streaming you can pause it and come back to it later um, um and then um yeah so we'll just kind of let you know right now stop it here if you want to find out you know watch it yourself and not find out what happens um because i'm going to tell the end right now um because i felt like the end of the movie made the whole beginning of the whole rest of the film obsolete in the sense that they were trying to go so anti-mcguffin like mm-hmm. so like meta critic critique on the MacGuffin idea that it made the movie have no point because we find out that that so for everybody listening that the whole point of the film is that Luke Goss uh, steals 30 million dollars from some drug le- uh, uh, the drug cartel in Mexico he hides it somewhere goes to jail for six years when he gets out the whole thing is who's got the money where can they find the money and we find out at the very end as they're all on a private jet flying off somewhere that the money was never hidden that he had laundered it in a casino and had it the whole time which makes me think, what's the point? Like, why didn't you just like get out of jail with all your buddies and just fly off somewhere? Cause you already had the money. Um, I know there's supposed to be some idea that like Luke Goss set this whole thing up so that Val Kilmer's character could get some redemption, but it just seemed like a lot of work for, for nothing. And I think for me, it's like, okay, I did 90 minutes of this movie knowing that Luke Goss had the money the whole time. <laughs> the ending is incredibly disappointing <laughs> because it, like you said, there's no point to how this ends. At one point during the ending, the one character tells another character what that character did, right. which is <laughs> super dumb. When you, you're telling somebody, "Oh, by the way, this is what you did," and and like, and she's almost like surprised that it happened. And and at that point, I'm like, "Well, wait, why did you do any of this?" Right. Uh, and like, I, I kept questioning because there's two characters in the film, these two guys who get picked up by, uh, and we'll get into all the characters, I'm sure, um, they're so ancillary to everything um, that (laughs) they end up getting, uh, like you said, the spoils, they get killed, and I'm like, wait, who were these guys? And then after everything's done, they explain who they were. So there was no point at any at any point in this film that we cared at all who these guys were. Right. They were only explained who they were way after anything happened with them. And I was like, that is the dumbest idea for to do with a character because I didn't. I kept the whole time like, why are these two guys here? Who are they? Yeah, and they didn't. That's the thing. Like you said, like if if they didn't need to be there, why are they there? Um, yeah, it's like they're trying to pad out the film. 
Uh, yeah, well, well, why don't we'll, we'll kind of jump in? We'll kind of sure. just and, and like I said, what we'll do is we'll kind of just go with you know kind of go through the film, um, and then it's you know if I go too fast, if I skip a place, and you want me to head back, well, we'll, we'll jump back as well. Um, <laughs> well the film starts with with Luke Goss, um, who is kind of known, I think, in DTV circles. I don't know if, you, if you've seen him. I, mean, I know he's in a couple other films with Kilmer. So yeah, he's in Blood Out and he's in Seven Below, both uh, not great films. Right, exactly. <laughs> yeah, and he's an interesting one because he was in a boy band in England in really? the '80s with his brother Matt. Um, so his brother Matt actually has a residency in um, in Vegas. I think he performs huh. in. Caesars, maybe, or the Venetian, something like wow. that. Um, yeah. And, I mean, I know him mainly because he was in uh, two Guillermo del Toro films. He was in Blade Two, and he's in Hellboy Two. Right. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. And so he, um, yeah, he, um, they, they, I, I, for whatever reason, when they they were done being boy bands, Matt stuck with music. Actually, the other thing too, Matt Goss, he's in a um, there, there was an old, um, I say old, it's probably like ten years old, um, <laughs> uh, Diddy commercial for his his Ciroc vodka that had Frank Vincent in it, <laughs> and Luke Goss or uh, Matt Goss was part of the um, and I thought it was Luke Goss at the time. I didn't know that um, that they were they, they had a twin brother because um, yeah, oh, he wow. just like yeah, he looks just like him. So if you ever go to Vegas, if you're ever there, you'll see a picture of what you think is Luke Goss, but it's Matt Goss with it. That's got to be very weird. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, but the other thing about Luke. Goss, uh, and you probably noticed this from the two films that he did with um, the two other ones, is that he generally plays an American, um, which is interesting because as an American, he's just like any like kind of bro, you know, DTV guy person. Whereas with an English accent, it's it, it makes him a little bit more compelling. Yeah, he uh, and especially in this film where they label him as the Brit, the Brit. Um, you know, like, I mean, you, you know, definitely not burying the lead on this one. He is, you know, they're playing him right up to the hilt that he is a British guy. And, uh, you know, I, I, you're right. It does give him that Jason statham kind of like air of cool. And like, you're right. If he did not have his British accent slash persona, this movie would have had a lot less going for it, I think. Exactly. Because, I mean, that's kind of the thing is that, um, yeah, it's right. He it, it just would have been because everybody else in the film that's around him other than Val Kilmer, at least for me, is pretty much every other person that's in these kinds of movies. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, I mean, and that's what I, I actually enjoyed at the beginning, because one of my favorite kinds of films are the team of individual films. Yeah. Um, you know, as a G.I. Joe fan, as a child, you know, <laughs> that's a big thing. I mean, you get a bunch of people with individual skills. So then you have your you know, any kind of heist film. Any heist film is right up my alley because you're gathering together people who have special skills and putting them together to work together as a team. And that's what this film is. It's a heist film, essentially. Um, and, you know, I kind of enjoyed the idea where each person had their little code name. It was the Brit and the Babe and the Badass and the Brains and the Brawn. Um, I appreciate that they were all Bs, except – and then they went to the Don, which I was like, oh, come on. You, you, like that could <laughs> They could have tried a little harder and find some B word for, for him. Um, but like – the um, boss, right? The, the boss. Perfect. Right, yeah. See, there you go. The boss. I mean, um, <laughs> why didn't they do that? That was so. It, it was. It was right there. Uh, <laughs> um, you know, they had all these on-screen titles that they as they introduced them. I was like, this movie feels really cool. I'm like, it has a lot of good energy to it right off the bat as we introduced everybody. And like, I even like the fact that like when they introduced the babe who uh, originally when she comes on screen in her bikini and everything, I was like, wait, is that Mercedes Kilmer? Cause I had never seen Mercedes Kilmer before. And right. I was like, it's a little weird to have Mercedes Kilmer like that. No, no, that's not Mercedes Kilmer. It's something different. Um, 
they introduce her and then they introduce who I thought was her guy, you know, her dude was beating up a boxing bag. And we find out that's actually her girlfriend who's the badass. I was like, this movie's trying some different things. And I was like, I'm in for it. I'm, I'm here, you know? And, and so the movie really sold me right off the bat with all these really cool, stylish introductions. I wish it had followed through on everything once we actually got into the story. Yeah, because that's what happens, right? Is that we so we, we get this big buildup that there's a there's a drug bust that happens that it turns out is not so Val Kilmer's a like a small town sheriff, I guess, in the Coachella Valley. And um I guess that's not merely a small town sheriff, but I guess it's like a county sheriff in Coachella Valley. And he he, he schedules this huge drug bust where they 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 take take in Luke Goss and it turns out it's only just a small amount of marijuana. Mm-hmm. Um and some of the the guys, some of the cartel guys are killed in the process. Uh Luke Goss gets five years for this because at that time marijuana was illegal so he's going to jail but Val Kilmer's character as the sheriff is like kind of disgraced and and pushed out because he put all these resources into what is essentially a small time drug bust which I don't know how much I believe that it seems like at least for me maybe just because I grew up in the 90s where it was like you know LAPD with battering rams breaking down crack houses like on (laughs) national tv that Mm -hmm. even like a small drug bust would be considered a big deal and that cartel guys dying like there just would not be a lot of I mean I guess again maybe I'm just being jaded but it just feels like the way that the national media would put something like that out there if if police officers had died if like some of his police officer guys had died then yes it would have been like oh officers were killed in the process of only bringing in 10 pounds of marijuana but I don't know, it did seem like a, a lot for him to get disgraced over that. Yeah, I think they would have, this, at, especially at the time, would have um, become a huge propaganda thing where it was yeah. like, you know, we're fighting this foreign invasion of drugs to into this right. country. They would have definitely spun it in a way that uh, I don't think Sheriff Tucker, as, uh, <laughs> as Kilmer plays, would have had the kind of problems that we see here because, you know, they, he's basically run out of town and turned into an alcoholic by, by the situation. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, so then we we fast forward the the five years or six years, whatever it is, and Luke Goss gets out of prison. And at this point, it's about trying to find this money that the, we we do see like the cartel head um, going to dig the money out and discovering that it's just bags of dirt. So the, so we don't know where this money is. It's thirty million dollars. But now, Luke Goss is is assembling his crew. So we've got like you said, we've got the Bay, we've got the the, the badass, I think, um, yep. the brawn and the brains, who we find out is ne- he's not necessarily as smart as we think, or <laughs> turns out maybe he is a little smarter. But but at the same time, Val Kilmer, who we find out is you know he's an alcoholic, he's at this bar. Um, he wants revenge on Luke Goss because he feels like Luke Goss made him look bad because Luke Goss somehow got the, the in his mind, I think, or maybe that's you know that he got the drop and figured out like okay, um, they're coming to, to to make this bust, so. I'm going to get rid of all the drugs and make it look like it's a very small scale thing. So he wants his revenge. So he's sort of stalking Luke Goss. And then we also have the the cartels who want their revenge. They found out that Luke Goss is out of prison. So they're kind of crossing the border into, into the Coachella Valley to, to, to try to get him. So we sort of have these, these few things that are sort of converging at once. Yeah. And so Goss has a parole agent named Layla who he's working with, who's trying to get him set up, who apparently Layla does not seem just to be purely professional in her her approach to uh, Damon, his, his name in the film, Lucas's name. And so they seem to have some sort of romantic relationship going on, perhaps, um, as she gets him set up with a, try to get him set up with a job as a mini golf security guard, but that doesn't quite work. Uh, so instead, he takes a job as a casino guard um, with uh, 
Nick Villalonga, who is plays the Don uh, Leo in this film. Now, uh, do you know Nick Villalonga, Matt? Do you know who uh, I, he is? I looked him up. He's f- familiar to me. Um, yeah. So, interestingly enough, he is the writer of Green Book, the Academy Award-winning film that uh, was the subject of quite some controversy uh, a little while back. There, um, I have to admit, a pretty good actor. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, it it is. Uh, so you're right here. Actually, yeah, it looks like he's won two uh, Oscars. Um, so yeah, for best picture and for best writing. Yeah, for, for Green Book. That's yeah, yeah. He he really like that's one thing. Like with this kind of a character, it's almost like they're like I don't know if one note is the right term, but you know he's he's supposed to be kind of like your your D's Dem and Do's kind of oh, mob yeah. guy in in the film, and. You're right. Like he plays this a lot of fun. Um, he he seems to, but now it kind of makes sense of why he he has fun with. It. I I didn't even think to look him up um to see like what else he'd been in. Um, uh, but that's really amazing that we have an Oscar winner in this film. <laughs> I know, and like that's a, the interesting thing. Like as I watch him perform, and you know the woman who plays Layla, um, Mirtha, Michelle. I mean, nobody in this film is phoning it in. Everybody in this film is really biting into these roles, especially, and I was, I have to say, I don't know him very well. Mike Hatton as the brains yes really enjoyed his performance in this film i i he was a lot of fun very funny delivered well on his lines i mean he he's just a uh, enjoyable performance and i nobody in this film stood out to me as being unable to deliver in this movie yeah i think one of the things that i did notice was that the script writing was a little bit the, 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 especially the dialogue was a little bit um, sort of pedestrian. And there were oh, some yeah. scenes where, where like they're trying to act these scenes out and they're kind of doing the best they can. And I think there's, there's a scene, for example, when Layla and, um, and, and Luke Goss are in the car together and she's pulled over the car um, and they're talking and like the way she's sort of delivering these lines, I think she was trying to dress them up as best she could mm-hmm. um, or make them seem as authentic as she could. And this was definitely a script that you could tell didn't get a lot of rewrites that it was you know sort of like, just get it on the page. Yeah, nothing here is, you know, Oscar worthy <laughs> to be certain. There's no green book here. Uh, but like, I mean, but it's a fun little action, you know, heisty film. I mean, I, I, from a purely procedural perspective, the story is terrible. The story makes no sense. And, and we'll go into more detail as to why that is. But I mean, in the end, I couldn't care less about what would happen. But I never was bored while watching it. No, no, that's a really great point. Because I think that you're right. Like the, the, these characters are, are are compelling in a way. So yeah. So what we get is we get the the characters sort of come together. The the, the gang. Um, they um, the Bron gets them together by you know because he hears from the Brit from Luke Goss that that it's time to go get this money back. So they get together. They meet up. Um, and Luke Goss goes over the plan. And the plan is um, from, I'm, I'm hoping I understand this correctly. Is that, <laughs> You're better um, than I am because uh, <laughs> at one point I wrote down in my notes, what is the plan? <laughs> exactly. Because it, it seems like so when they I think when they gave us the plan, it didn't really make a lot of sense when they were giving it to us. But when it was working, when it was going coming together, it seemed to make a little bit more sense. And that is that we have the brain and the and the bronze. They pretend to be cleaning guys to go into this DEA safe house in the mm-hmm. area to collect some files that um, collect some some files that Luke Goss has that I guess are going to show the GPS location of where the money is because um, it's sort of just hidden in this like palm tree garden in somewhere in the Coachella Valley area. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the 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 babe and the badass are going to a bar where the these two 
crooked DEA agents hang out, and they're supposed to capture them because I guess they also have information on. Now, did we know that at any point? Because I never caught on to that. No, I didn't figure it out until after. It was like I think it was when when they were there when when so when everything goes bad, that's when I seem to figure out what or when you know when they were trying to to do it, I, I figured it out. But at the time, none of it made any sense. Um, and 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 so then Luke Goss is just sitting there waiting for all of this to happen. At the same time, the cartel head he is down in Mexico and he um, calls in his daughter. So actually, I completely missed a huge piece here that we find out that we think the reason why Luke Goss is in prison is because the brains in that group he hooks up with this cartel leader's daughter um, ah, yes, yes. and he's caught <laughs> hooking up with her the the cartel guys yank him out of bed they've got him at gunpoint and then luke goss and the rest of the game have to go in and save the friend and we think that's how luke goss ends up in jail that he's like set up and that they they're they're sort of a death thing out for them and there's sort of all this bad stuff because the brains couldn't control his libido and and it hooks up with her so the cartel head, he's actually sending his daughter, uh, her name's Olivia, to go get these people and bring them to him so that he can get his revenge on them. So mm. so we've got the gang is, is pulling off their heist stuff. That Again, it's like I guess they need to get this information to find out where the, the, the money is buried. At the same time, you know, at, at the same time, Olivia is going to try to with some cartel guys to get these people. And then, of course, we've got Val Kilmer is still stalking um, Lucas. He's still following him. And I think that's why we find out that Luke Goss isn't involved in any of the high stuff. It's because he knows he's being followed by Val Kilmer, and I guess he wants to lay low wherever he is. Yeah, and again, in the end, none of this matters. Right, no. Because none of this actually happens. Right. So, like, why would you go through all this? Why would you ever put yourself through all this danger and and problems for nothing? Right. Exactly. Exactly. And then, like, in this period, we also find out – so this is where Val Kilmer's daughter, Mercedes, comes in. It's, we, mm. we find out that she is um, uh, um, going to be the new district attorney in the area, and she's getting sworn in. And so Val Kilmer's character, who is – you know, in the in the five years, he's he's kind of drank, drank himself. Um, he's, he's kind of you know gotten himself in a bad spot where he's, he's drunk. He's sitting on a bench, and somebody mistakes him for a homeless person. <laughs> um, and then Mercedes comes and sits next to him on the bench to talk about her being – sworn in as the new DA. And I have to say, this seed in particular was really nice. Um, it seemed like Val Kilmer really enjoyed working with her. Oh, yeah. um, it seemed like she was laughing a little bit because she was like trying to get used to the fact that her dad was in character and she also had to be in character. But I, I think if, if there's anything from this movie that that, was, that did make it worth it, um, especially as a Val Kilmer fan, this in particular did. Yeah, it was nice to get to see these two together, uh, especially later than when, if you watch Val, the documentary, to see them together in that film, you can see that they what, love there. There's, you know, it's obvious. And, you know, I was, you know, I, when I watched this the first time, um, I'd never seen her in anything. I'd never, you know, I'd never seen her before ever in my life. And so I was curious to see what she would be like. And... I'm really would be I don't know if she wants to act. I don't like I'm not going to say she's an actress in any way because you know she just had to work with her dad. I I mean I I, I imagine I could do that if I had to. Um you know it's a very comfortable thing to work with somebody you, you know like that. Um I'd love to see her with something where it's people that she doesn't know and see if she's able to do to able to act. Um I'm not going to expect anything out of her because again I I don't think she's ever shown any 
real inclination to do a lot of acting. Um, but this was a, a, a fine little moment between a father and a daughter. And <laughs> I, I really appreciate, and I can, if the reason why she's in this film is because he said, hey, put my daughter in this film and I'll be in this film. Good on you for you know doing that for your your kid and for yourself. You know I'm I'm all for that, uh, and I do enjoy when she's like, "You need to take a shower." Right. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, I agree completely. Like, if this is what got Val Kilmer into this movie was this part of it, uh, I totally agree with you as well. I I really like this. I mean, I think one of the problems the film has is that Val Kilmer is kind of head and shoulders above everybody. At least in my mind, it felt like as an act from an acting standpoint, like his, mm. his scenes, like when he's on, on screen, it's Val Kilmer. Um, and I think that's one of the problems is this film doesn't have a lot of him in it. Um, yeah. He just kind of comes in fits and starts. And I think the film does miss him a bit, but by the same token, I think th if that's, if this is what got him in the film, I agree. I, 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 I appreciate that. Yeah. It's also, this is the Val Kilmer just after his surgery. Yeah. And so there's the question of, is this Val Kilmer? Yeah. Because, you know, um, you know, I, we've all heard his voice now from the movie, from documentary. This is not his voice in this film. Uh, either, either this is recorded well before, or they would, they dubbed him some, it's not Val Kilmer. Uh, that's not his voice. And so, you know, it's still his presence, which is still valuable. Um, he's still, you know, him firing that gun in that movie. Yeah. He's still a badass. Um, it's just not the same. And that's, it's a little bit of a bummer. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. I think that's one of the things in watching this movie is that you do kind of see that, that this, you know, that he's, he's not well. Um, and mm -hmm. I think that is harder to watch. Um, but I think the scenes that he does with his daughter, um, they, there, there's an authenticity there that yes. I think, you know, I, I it, it makes, it, it kind of makes us a little bit more than just your, your standard, like direct to video Val Kilmer, you know, film that he's just sort of you know post uh, big screen career kind of movie. yeah there's a meaning to these scenes and i like that yeah exactly well so now we're, we're getting into the heist part so um <laughs> we've got the brain and the bronze at the dea center um pretending to be cleaning guys and they're sort of searching around for this computer they can take the information off of then we've got the babe and the badass who are at a bar um sort of getting ready to sort of hit on the two dea agents um to, to kind of be able to <laughs> pull them in and they seem to do what they need to do successfully only of course you know because we you know Chekhov's uh cartel guys we know that they're going <laughs> to come in and sort of make the whole thing bad and they do um but then we get the plot twist of Layla the parole officer going to Luke Goss taking off his uh ankle bracelet that is supposed to keep him at home and says, let's go out, let's go catch a movie or something. And of course, you know, for a guy like him, right, you know, the libido is always, you know, he's been in prison for six years, you know, this is, um, it makes him a little bit more easily manipulable. They go out and then she hits him with a syringe and knocks him out. And so now everybody has been caught by the cartel. And so this is sort of that moment of everything's gone wrong, what's, what's going to possibly save them. Yeah, I did not see that coming. Um, I did. I mean, and maybe that's just me. Um, I can be fooled sometimes, but I didn't see Layla double crossing him, mostly because I thought once everybody was captured, that Luke Goss would have to come in and save the day, which is what I expect out of Luke Goss, uh, especially in a film like this. But no, he, he is not. He's taken captive just like everybody else. Yeah. And I think the fact that we find out that Layla is 
Olivia's sister. She's also a daughter to the the cartel head. Mm. And I think it's a little bit of a stretch that that you can get your your cartel daughter into the parole business, <laughs> you know, like 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 as a parole officer in California. It feels like a bit of a stretch that you can just embed, you know, and that's one of the things that these movies do, I think, a lot is that like the idea that these cartels, because they have so much money or whatever, can just do whatever they want. Um, um, And I think it would have been a more because they needed her to be the sister. I guess that was the thing that that was part of the plot. But it would have been more believable that she gets bribed to Mm -hmm. to this. Yeah, definitely. I mean, the coincidences here are a little over the top uh, when when you especially I mean, again, we I mentioned it before in the end, none of this matters. And so, like, the things that have to work out for this all to work out, the, it's just stupid. I mean, the, not, it, it's way too many coincidences. Yeah, it's essentially like a Rube Goldberg device oh, is, yeah. that the, is that the term i want to yeah that like yep. of a movie that like it's like just all of this crazy stuff happens for like just you know pouring a, a, a coffee into a mug or something like that yeah i mean and and the thing is even if you didn't activate the machine the coffee would still make it into the mug <laughs> exactly that's the thing right the coffee's already in the mug essentially <laughs> right exactly yeah so yeah so so we we, we we're kind of all at where the, the cartel's place are everybody's been captured but then we get this sort of like plot twist or we get this sort of like plot point where Val Kilmer gets a call to go meet somebody it's the Don at the casino Mm -hmm. and he gives Val Kilmer coordinates to where everything's supposed to go down with the idea being that like hey you can sort of take everybody out here and you know sort of get your revenge or whatever it is and and Val Kilmer of course is suspect but he's like okay I'll go do it Um, so Luke Goss tells the um, cartel people, we've all got to go to this location if we're going to. I know where the drugs are, but we've all got to go there. And so, okay, they get a huge, you know, wagon train caravan or whatever, and they just go all out there. And and then Luke Goss convinces them when they're all out there in this like palm tree farm, I guess, um, in the Coachella Valley. Um, he convinces them that well, you've got to untie my my me and my crew so we can dig because you don't want to be doing the digging. Okay, we'll do that too. Um, and then, okay, yeah, okay. Explain to me what was happening here with this computer, because they they have a computer that they have to put information into, right. but I don't understand what the point was when they're digging. They know where they're digging, right? So, so Luke Goss, I guess his character is telling them that they need the the computer to to find the GPS coordinates that they're somehow buried, you know, like like put in this computer. But we find out after, I guess, that what he, what the brains was doing with this computer was it because they, I guess, they had a, um, a tablet that they needed to, like the, the cartels had a tablet or something, and somehow he like unencrypted their information, so like it had all the cartel information somehow, which doesn't make a lot of sense either because it's like they're just going to keep all this information on an encrypted tablet that they just carry with them everywhere, like. <laughs> So well, you know, the cartel's IT team there. And right, exactly. They don't have cloud backups. Right, right, exactly. <laughs> so, so um, yeah, and so then, of course, Val Kilmer is there, and, um, we, and again, like you said, we have these ancillary DEA agents who, like, um, come in, and for whatever reason, like, they they have their mouths taped. Nobody else does, which, again, is a plot convenience theater piece because if they, we find out that, if I guess, if they weren't, they'd be able to tell everybody, like, that this whole thing's a scam or something. I don't know what they'd be able to tell them. I, but. I thought maybe their mouths were taped so they wouldn't speak and have to get lines for the SAG. <laughs> that was the other part. Well, no, because they already did talk, right? Remember, they did talk earlier. Oh, that's right? true, yes. Yeah, I, I hit your wife. 
right, exactly, right, exactly. So they, they had some really great lines earlier. Because um, that, that would make sense, actually, when you think about it with a movie like this. Um, but, um, but yeah, so they get they, they seem to be like kind of like nodding to each other, like they're going to do something. And this hothead cartel guy shoots them in the head. Yeah. And, now, okay. Now, I, <laughs> since yeah. you mentioned this, yes. what exactly did they think they were going to do? I don't know. There it's, are like eight guys with guns standing around them. Their hands are tied. Their mouths are bound. They're right. on their knees. What were they going to do at any moment at any of this to do anything? Yeah. Well, so I thought because they were nodding to each other, I thought they were in on like the thing with Luke Goss and his crew. But then they get <laughs> shot in the head and they're killed. And it turns out like and then we find out after that, of course, no, they had nothing to do with their crew. Um, no. We don't even know why they were being they were being brought there, I guess, because they they. They had been evil with the cartel. I guess they had, they'd killed some um, uh, trafficked women and and done some other really heinous things that we, you know. But again, like you said, it's like a kind of thing where it was like, we don't know why they're there. And then when they explain why they're there at the end, it's almost like, well, why were they there to yeah. begin with? Like they had no reason to be there at all. <laughs> it was so pointless. <laughs> like I don't even understand what they what their role was if they weren't the DEA guys like when the girls picked them up in the bar what was going to be the benefit of having them right well it sounds like at the very end the benefit was that Luke Goss thought that they needed some kind of comeuppance and so I guess maybe he was going to kill them if that cartel guy hadn't killed them or that Val Kilmer would have killed them when he was you know shooting everybody with his AR-15 <laughs> I don't something like that or maybe that like Val Kilmer would have arrested them or something I guess is there was some idea that he wanted them to have some kind of comeuppance and that's why he brought them along but he told everybody that no we needed them because they were supposed to have the GPS location um for where the uh the the drugs were yeah I think he said at one point they were like vital to the location and I right. was like really yeah, <laughs> like, right right exactly so once this murder happens, we start to get like sort of the Mexican standoff thing um, mm. where people start pulling each other's guns. Everybody's got each other at gunpoint. And I, I think that's where Val Kilmer comes in and starts yes. shooting people. Yeah, yeah just uh, I mean, apparently from what I can tell from the framing of all this, he's maybe 50 feet away from them right. <laughs> standing behind a tree. Like, I mean, hard to miss this dude in a trench coat, basically standing behind a palm tree. <laughs> <laughs> not too far from them because he he turn yeah he he gets a signal and then turns and just starts firing away randomly at these guys. I mean, if this was the plan, it's a terrible plan because he's firing this gun willy nilly. He could have killed every one of them. Yes, right, exactly, and 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 somehow the only people who die are the cartel people and the right yeah. cartel people, I guess, and then. Luke Goss tells everybody to leave and he goes and talks to Val Kilmer and he apologizes for ruining his career because we find out that that, that whole drug bust thing was his setup was Luke Goss's setup to do that. And he, you know, he apologizes for that. And he says, you know, to make it right or something like that, I've given you this whole cartel group that you can say you did the bust on. And that's where the computer part comes in, I guess, that it's all unencrypted now and it's all this information and that, you know, these dead cartel guys that he can say he's responsible for and, you know, just let me go on my way. And he tells Belkimer as well that there's no money. There was never any money. It was never there um, or, or it was never bare or whatever. And we go, OK, what? Right. <laughs> yeah, he's just like, OK, bye. <laughs> right, right, exactly. And then. Val Kilmer is a scene after that where he's with his daughter again, um, and they're at the, the Day of the Dead festival, and 
he kind of has this epiphany after he's done with Lucas, where Lucas is kind of like, you know, you need to go live your life again. You got to stop your revenge thing on me or something. And again, Val Kilmer's very amenable to all of this. He's like, yeah, you know what? You're right. I just, you know, um, he's spending time with his daughter, which again was another good scene. I think again, the scenes with the two of them mm-hmm. together were both really good. Oh, yeah. um, and, and that's kind of the last time we see Val Kilmer in this. Um, and yeah, it was, you know, it was kind of, again, it was one of those things where it was like, it was one of those moments that made this movie a little bit worth it in that sense. Yeah, I mean, unfortunately, it's it's such a random ending to the film because um, they just drop this Day of the Dead scene in with no connection to anything else in the movie. It's just like it, it actually comes in between other scenes where they're just like, oh, by the way, this happened. <laughs> right, exactly. It's just like, and I think you might be right to that point that like this is something Val Kilmer may have said like if I'm going to be in this movie. There needs to be, you know, my daughter needs to be in it. We've got to work that in and have a couple of scenes with her. And it might have been like one of those things where like, OK, we'll we'll shoehorn this in here at the end as a way to 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 make that happen. Yeah. And, you know, they're like, yeah, OK, Val, sure. Whatever you say. <laughs> and then and then we get to the end and we get Val, uh, Luke Goss is talking to Layla on the phone. Luke, Layla's now back with her dad um, in, in the cartel area. And she's talking about the money, and I guess he says, like, there never was money, I think, or so. I can't remember exactly what he says, but he also makes a crack, like, where's your sister? Mm-hmm. Um, and essentially, like, you know, we're going to go. We're, we're running away. It's going to be a it's, a it's a big world out there. You're going to have trouble finding us, um, something along those lines. Um, and when he says, where's your sister? I, at first, I thought, well, okay, maybe they're saying, like, he's captured her or something like that. But then I'm like, well, no, they're getting on a plane somewhere. That, that's, that can't be. And I realized, like, oh, no, no, the sister had turned on on them. Yeah, uh, she uh, she's on the plane with the brains because it w- in the end it was his love for her and th- their passion for each other that turned her away from the cartel and uh, it set it all in motion and now set it all at the end where they're off and running with their money because now as we're on this plane, this private plane of the Don, we get the how did it happen scene, which is important for any heist film. Any heist film has to show you how did the heist get completed? Right. If it makes sense. Right. Yes. <laughs> right. And here, what's interesting is that we find out that there's sort of this meta commentary on the MacGuffin in a film um, that actually makes the whole film obsolete in, in the process. Um, yeah. So we find out that, that there is the, um, the whole him hooking up with Olivia or the woman – it was it was set up to be done on purpose. Even though they 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 were in love, they they cared about each other. It was done on purpose to distract the the, the cartel head from them stealing his money. That he was going to be so concerned about this affront that was done to him that one of these guys had hooked up with his daughter that he wasn't going to notice them stealing the money. Um, at the same time, the Don had guys in the shipping in the trucking industry, which just sort of, Hey, I guess it's whatever you need from the Don at this point of the film, whatever we need him to be able to have done, he could do. And he used his trucking guys to ship this 30 million, some, you know, get it away. Um, you know, so that the cartel couldn't trace it. And then I guess there was some deal where they needed to do the fake drug bust. Like that part, I didn't quite understand why they needed to have the drug bust in there to get, and, and, and the Brit have to go to jail for five years. Um, so that he wouldn't it would draw the attention away from the brit and it wouldn't seem like he was involved right okay that's right okay and so he had to do five years for that and then the big thing is we find out though is that when that money was moved through the trucking uh uh, company it was moved to the casino that the don owns and he was washing the money the whole time that there was never buried anywhere there was no need to do any of this heist stuff none of this stuff was needed because 
the money was always there. Like, and, and it was, and they almost kind of this smug way of talking about it. Like, Oh yeah. Everybody loves buried treasure. Everybody loves the idea of the MacGuffin, you know? And, 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 but the reality is nobody ever does that. You know, that, that this is what we did. It's like, that's great. But the whole thing is like the MacGuffin makes the movie like that yeah. makes, that, that makes everything worth it. If there's no <laughs> MacGuffin, then, then why did you do any of it? Yeah. The whole thing was so stupid. Like, why would you, you put so many people's lives at risk. You killed right. people. You, you know, for what? I mean, like I said, at any point, Val Kilmer could have killed any one of them in that field, you know, in that in that field of palm trees with that gun. And it would have been all wor- worthless because the money was already in the casino. Right, exactly. Like if any member of their, their team had died in that scenario, though, you know, it, you're right. Like, what, you know, like what would they have been doing, like sitting on the on the plane, like, you know, toasting champagne, like, oh, yeah, somebody died. But, you know, we, we made this all work. It's like, yeah, it. It, and, and it is funny how, like, nobody seems to be upset about that, I guess, because, you know, I guess 50. don't think about out, it. <laughs> right, because it turns out this money, I guess, is in escrow or something this time. I don't know, whatever makes it so that. Yeah, now they've million got now. millions upon millions, thanks to interest, which you know, it's like. <laughs> exactly. I don't, know, I don't know what that means. Like, was he using was he using it? I mean, because I don't know how that would work in the casino sense. Like, was he using it as part of the gambling or whatever? And like, so, you know, guys that were, you know belly up at the blackjack table losing tons of money where like that was going into that pot i don't know how any of that works yeah and i actually at one point i think he actually mentions it being a reservation um and i was like wait now we're tying this into like native americans and like there's some weird stuff happening in this movie where they're just dropping stuff in just to mention things right, exactly i i kind of feel like this is one of those films where the because it's the director and writer are the same person where they may have just mm-hmm. sort of written themselves into a corner um, <laughs> and, and didn't know what to do. Well, he also, this guy, a Christian yeah. Sesma, uh, I think that's how you say his name. Um, <laughs> so this movie came out in 2002, 2000, sorry, 2020. Yeah. So it's been a little over a year or so that this movie came out. He's already got seven movies completed. Right, yes. So... Yeah. He's not taking his time with these things. <laughs> no, no. And I mean, this is one of two films he had come out, or actually, he had two films come out in 2021. He had this one. Um, and yeah, I mean, he pumps these out, and, and a lot of them have these actors in them. Um, oh, yeah. You know, I mean, Luke Goss has done a few with him. Um, you know, he does this kind of movie a lot. So, um, and I think you're right. Like, um, there's one called Take Back that um, I was on another podcast, um, the DTV Digest in England, um, and they reviewed this, but it hadn't come out in the U.S. yet. Um, Take Back, and um, that's one that um, it, he did. Which again, it's a uh, hundred you know, ninety-nine minutes. They're all about that same amount of time. Um, <laughs> you know, they have. Similar actors. I mean, you know, this one, this one has Michael Jai White, James Russo. Um, oh, yeah. Vicky Ward. Same Cruz. Yeah. Yeah. But there's Paul Sloan and there, there's Nick Belonga actually is in there as well. Yeah, so I think Mike Hatton is in several of these as well. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. So and I think maybe that might explain too why the cast seem to be doing a, a great job and enjoying themselves is that they've worked with this guy for, for so much that they're just like, yeah, let's do this fun heist movie. I mean, he probably sold it to them like this is like, you know, Ocean's Eleven you know, oh, yeah. our, our version of Ocean's Eleven, we're going to do this. And and they, you know, and there's there's a lot of stuff that happens. There's sort of a lot of asides in the movie that I think, again, because the movie is so focused on these asides, like because they thought they were funny, you know, like um the babe is an influencer. And it's like part of it is the joke about her being an influencer and trying to sell some product in the bikini. And the other part of it is Luke Goss having been in prison and not knowing what a, an influencer is. And it's like all, you know, there was a lot of that, like kind of like almost like Tarantino Pulp Fiction, like trying to be cute 
kind of stuff. Yeah, I remember this one scene where uh, Layla tells he asks if he has cable, right. and she says you've got a fire stick, and he's like, "What's a you know what's a fire stick?" And she's like, "You'll figure it out." And I was like, "Would he?" Like if if you've never seen a fire stick, would you you would have no idea what to do with this thing? <laughs> no, I mean considering that like for you know for years like I was helping my parents you know hook up the VCR, which to be honest I kind of feel like I I feel like I remember my mom showing me how to hook up the VCR and then suddenly they stopped knowing how to do it so that I feel like they just pawned that job up. off on me. <laughs> exactly, but it's still that idea. Like a lot of people you know have you know, boomer parents or older, you know, that, that don't know how to use technology that they have to help them out with. And it isn't like they just figure these things out. Like, you know, somebody has to say, like, you need to put this fire stick into the, the USB portion um, or the HDMI portion. Yeah, you're right. Like, it's not just like a, a thing that you just figure out. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. And, and I mean, I think there were some areas of this where, like, I think, to some extent, like the, they were so focused on getting these funny parts in that they didn't like flesh out things that I think mm. needed more fleshing out, like the DEA agents, um, you know, those kinds of things. Those other, there, it did have some detriment to the plot in the sense that, like, you know, I mean, I don't know about you, but it was like when you get to the end and they're on the plane, you got to put your goggles on, you know, for eye safety because of the loose ends flying together. And it's like, you know, everything's like kind of, you know, get a helmet on too, because it was a, it was a little bit scary there. Um, yeah, I definitely was yeah, at the end, just something like, well, that was pointless. That was really like, you wasted my time. I mean, not that, again, like I'll say it, I was never bored while watching this movie. Uh, the whole time I was pretty entertained, but at the end I was just like, what was the point of all that? And there, there's no story. There's no, there's no meaning to all of this. And that's, if I'm going to spend an hour and a half with something, I'd like it to mean something in the end. Right. Well, that's the thing, right? Is that if you get to the end of a movie, you say, what's the point? That's not good. That's a, no. that's a, a bad thing. I mean, you know, and I don't remember the last time I've seen a movie where, and, and I mean, this happens a lot with direct to video movies, but not to this extent where it's almost like, you know, again, this whole meta uh, criticism on the MacGuffin concept the MacGuffin concept, it, it kind of works. It's it's a fun concept. I mean, I can mm -hmm. think of a lot of movies that use it that have done it really well. I mean, Bound was the movie that the Wachowskis had to do to show, prove that they could make the Matrix films. You know, that one, it's just like money that just keeps kind of moving around. It almost had like a, a Marx Brothers sensibility to it, where it's like, mm -hmm. you know, or, you know, Three Stooges kind of thing, where what is this thing that's being, you know, transported around? I mean, it's, it's a concept that, you know, yes, it sounds, you know, crass the way we talk about it. oh the MacGuffin oh this thing you know but it, it is a part it is a thing that could actually work in a movie and mm -hmm. um and I, I feel like a, a film like this to, to sort of um have some sort of meta criticism on it I mean maybe maybe I, I haven't seen a lot of Cessna's movie maybe he, he uses the MacGuffin in a lot of movies and he's making fun of himself here um but that wasn't all that apparent no no I'm, and at the end the way it just kind of just fades out yeah tells me that there was no real you know, uh, plan to end this in any yeah. you know positive way. It was just like, oh yeah, it's over. <laughs> yeah, right, exactly, exactly. Although we do get a little bit of a coda at the end, where um, the sister Layla is talking to her father, who's um, the cartel leader, and he j she just says Olivia, and then walks away in slow motion. And so I guess that's our setup for the, the sequel. <laughs> yeah, which maybe they want to do a sequel. Maybe they, they feel like they want to bring this group back and, and, uh, and do something else with them. But the problem with the sequel is, is, is that going to have a point? Is that going to yeah. right, have any meaning to it? <laughs> I mean, what, I guess you could, you know, say you've got Layla seeking revenge. But, I mean, 
for what? <laughs> like nothing was, you know, nothing. Ha- you know, her sister chose to leave. It's like I guess you could have sister versus sister, w- yeah. which might be interesting, but otherwise, leave Lucas out of it. <laughs> right. Exactly. Yeah. And I mean, I wonder. Like, so this is maybe you know the cynical part of me that looks at the, a movie like this and says, okay, I'm scrolling through Tubi. I see a box that says, or you know, a, a, a rectangle that has. Luke Goss and, and, and Val Kilmer in these sort of action poses. And it says Pater, you know, Pater just seems like a great term, whether it's Fort mm. Fairlane or, or, you know, watching football or whatever. And I look at it, it's only like 88 minutes long. And I just, you know, say, okay, you know, I'm going to give this one a try. And I pop it on and, you know, first 25, 30 minutes go by and it's like, yeah, it's not horrible. Like you said, there's, there's some, it, it, the, the actors seem like they're having a fun time. There's this compelling element, which I don't know about you, but it felt like the whole like brain's, Babe, Braun, all that stuff never really came to fruition the way that you you would you know like like I would have liked to have seen a scene where like the brain for example needed to break something or push mm. something open or hold pick something up or hold something that only he could have done um you know or you know the, the, yes the babe is there sort of um, seducing the two DEA agents but also the badass is seducing them too so it's not like it's anything unique to the babe that she's seducing someone it would have been nice to see more of like the babe seducing people or the badass, you know, like doing more badass things. Um, yeah, what did she do besides punch that one guy out? Right. Exactly. <laughs> like, it's almost like they created this, they went through this huge thing of like freezing the frame and putting these titles up only to not really do enough with them. Um, and yeah. so I think there was that part of it too, where it's like, you're watching this in the 25 minute mark and you're like, okay, what is going to happen with these people? This seems like this is going to be interesting, right? Like when we put all these people together with, with Luke Goss, this could be really fun. And then it's like, you know, a 45 minute mark. Eh, there, there, it seems like something's kind of unfolding here. And it's almost like one of those things that by the time we figure out that nothing's really happening and, and that, you know, it was all for naught, we've already spent our time. We've already watched our Tubi ads. We've already given this film a full stream. And there is almost like a cynicism, at least for me about this. That it's like that, that kind of that bait and switch element of like, how do we get streams on Tubi? How do we sort of stand out amongst yeah. all of the, the all of the rectangles that are showing up on there? Yeah, and for me, unfortunately, you know, as the host of Kilmer cast, you know, Kilmer does not need to be in this movie. Right. Uh, I mean, if you removed Kilmer's character, you could have given so much more time to the group, to each of team members, and made this much more interesting uh, from a heist perspective. And nothing would have been lost, in my opinion, outside of seeing Kilmer and his performance with his daughter. I mean, that, I mean, there's a value to that, but not to this film in particular, this film needed something that, like you said, you introduced the babe, the badass, the Brit, the brawn, the, the brains, and they did almost nothing with them because you had to spend time with Kilmer and his daughter. You had to spend time with Goss and his, and Layla. You had to spend time with the cartel. There's too much spread around for a 90 minute movie to get a, a true story going. Yeah, and it seemed like the only scenes that we had with the crew were just them bantering with each other, which, again, it was like almost like one of those things like, oh, isn't this so funny that we're talking about influencers? Or isn't this so funny that, like, you know, the Braun doesn't know anything about techno- modern technology or whatever? Oh, yeah. But it's like they were so kind of keen on making those jokes that, like, yeah, it didn't do anything to develop. Like, like it would have been great in the heist part, where in the DEA part, where we've got the brains and the brawn. It would have been great if maybe, like, the brawn does something. I mean, I think he breaks open a door or something. But, like, it would have been great if he, like, an example, like, to the cartel that I was trying to get them, and he kind of bangs their heads together, kind of classic, yeah. you know, big guy style, you know? Something with, with the four of them, because, honestly, outside of the brains, 
I mean, I, the Brit did nothing. <laughs> I mean, like, except be around. You, you know, what was his special ability besides being British? <laughs> like, well, it seems like he's like the mastermind of things even more so than the brain. So it's almost like yeah. it's almost like he's the brains, even though he's the yeah. Brit. Which because you uh, get yeah. that scene where he's sitting there with his eyes closed and the uh, the right. graphic going across his face because you know obviously he's the super the genius behind all this. Uh, I mean. That was a little, you know, much for me, you know, because, you know, I get the, the film tried to have a little style there, but, you know, it's, what is this, Beautiful Mind? No. <laughs> exactly, yes. I mean, that's the thing, too, because this is a movie that, that Cessna wrote and directed, and because a lot of times with these direct-to-video movies, sometimes they'll pull in a director, and for he or she, like, the mindset is like, man, I've got to make this this rough direct-to-video action movie with Steven Seagal or whoever, let me get some really nice shots. Let me work with my cinematographer and get, like, some something that, that just looks really nice or something like that. Whereas, like, I don't know if maybe here it was maybe more indulgent in this case, where it's mm-hmm. like he's written and directed this himself, so he's going to do this. Um, you Because know, a lot of times I don't begrudge it when it's a director that they just pull in, and I'm like, yeah, I get it. you got to get something out of this for yourself. <laughs> like, you're, you know, like you're, you're dealing with Seagal, who doesn't want to do any of his ADR. He doesn't want to do any of his reverse shots. He, he needs a stunt, you know, all, whatever it is that, you know, you're dealing with. And it's like, you want to make this really cute shot of a coffee cup from overhead and, and, and establish the scene with that I, I i appreciate it i get what you're trying to do whereas like here it's like is it more indulgent with it you know and th- almost the whole film had a, a feeling of being indulgent i guess to that extent yeah he definitely laid laid along the style in this film and i thought it was going to work you know from the beginning and unfortunately they didn't deliver on it in the end yeah yeah so unfortunately i think that's the thing i think I think for Kilmer fans, I don't know if you feel like it. Maybe it's it's maybe maybe we put timestamps on the scenes that he has with his daughter. Or maybe if you, <laughs> you sort of fast forward it and look for him sitting on a bench. That's what if, if you see Kilmer sitting on a bench, that's going to be a scene with his daughter. Um, and maybe that's something that would be worth it for Kilmer fans. But I mean, it's not that this movie, like you said, it's not that it's horrible. It's the fact that it 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 the end of it essentially makes the whole thing pointless. Mm. And I think that does sort of make it feel like what did I spend my ninety minutes doing? And and with all the streaming options out there, that's a really hard thing to sell to people. Yeah, I definitely agree. That's that's a hundred percent the feeling I had about this film is that it's entertaining, it's well made. It's just in the end, it's meaningless, and that's not what I want out of a movie. Yeah. Well, yeah. Well, let's wrap this up here. Um, Francis, do you have anything you wanted to plug while we're? Well, you know, um, I will be bringing back Kilmercast right now. We're on a little bit of hiatus because I, uh, after the holidays, I got a little ill and unfortunately just uh, put put me off my schedule. But I'm looking to get back onto schedule and get the final, I think it's seven or eight episodes of Kilmercast in the can. So we'll get that done. Uh, but the episode, all the other episodes, including several, including your host, Matt, are in there uh, to listen to. Uh, some really great episodes, uh, some fun films to check out. So uh, Kilmercast uh, on Twitter and all over the place on your podcast style yeah i think people really should check it out because it is a really fun show it's a combination of uh you know to discussing the movie itself but um also the, the kilmer in context part i think is really i think having listened to, to the episodes you know multiple episodes it's been really cool to kind of see almost like the evolution of the film movie and or film tv and music industries um you know where it's like oh we're talking about 2000 this week 2009 and, and seeing those being like oh yeah i remember that's right that was the writer strike that's why there's all these reality shows on here or something like that <laughs> yeah we definitely get to get a, a bigger picture of what uh the the modern industry has been like uh plus we get to listen to some interesting music too because you, you catch some songs that you forgot were tops of the charts Right, exactly. Yeah, and it's, that's also another part where you're like, oh, that's right, that that song was on. I remember being in the drugstore hearing that one or something like that. 
<laughs> Excellent. And another thing too, I remember. So you, um, I know you're an Islanders fan. You had a chance to check out the new uh, arena. Uh, I actually like? did. Finally, I went over. Uh, we went to see a game against the uh, the Edmonton Oilers on New Year's Day, and uh, it is fantastic. It is a beautiful building. Um, it's just I had some great seats. My daughter and my wife and I. And uh, we got to see an overtime win, which was a lot of fun against Connor McDavid and the Oilers. Uh, we're going back again on February 20th to see the uh, Canadians uh, against the Islanders. Uh, for some reason, I only see Canadian teams play there. <laughs> I don't know why that is. Uh, but it is, I mean, I definitely recommend anybody who can go see it. Uh, it's it's just a, a beautiful building to see a game in. It's not the NASA Coliseum. Nothing ever will be the NASA Coliseum. But it it's you know it's the next best thing and it's it's a beautiful new building and the food is really great <laughs> nice. that's excellent and the other thing too is it, it, you can get a, a the, the long island railroad there right so yes yes uh right from uh you can go from Ma- madison square garden right into the uh build into the um elmont station and then walk right across to the arena which is awesome i mean uh right now unfortunately uh they don't have the westbound train going yet uh which for me is would be valuable so i have to drive there right now but eventually there'll be a train that i can take right to there and then right back home which is awesome yeah, that was the problem for me with the Nassau Coliseum is that I always wanted to go because that's I think the Nassau Coliseum, it's, that's one of like the three or four like big ones. And really, I think now I think Madison Square Garden might be the last one standing out of those really great ones that, you know, the Spectrum here in Philly, the old Boston Garden, um, you know, and, and the Nassau Coliseum. Like, there aren't many of those left. And um, I wanted to check it out while they were still playing there, but there's no there was no public transportation that went there. Yeah, it's, it was definitely hard if you didn't drive to get to the Coliseum. You had to take a bus, which nobody wants to have to take the train to the bus to, to the Coliseum. Um, or you take a taxi and have to pay a ton of money, for, which is also not going to work out for most people. Um, you could still catch a minor league game there for lacrosse, uh, but unfortunately there's no more hockey there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's one of those things. I think hockey is a weird sport in the sense that, like um, – it, it, it really venerates the past a lot. And mm-hmm. I think, and I think it's hard, especially when, you know, as they, as, as the sport has built new markets over the last, like, you know, 30 years or so in the kind of the Gretzky era that like almost, there's almost a sense of like, Oh, you're in Phoenix or, Oh, you're in Tampa Bay or something <laughs> like that. Like, Oh, you know, like we've got these places. And, um, but it is, you know, but there is something about those, those locations that were just, you know, I, I was fortunate enough to get to see a game in the old Boston garden. And I mm-hmm. remember, I mean, I was, I was nine, I think it was, it was an 87, I was eight actually. And I remember like whenever they scored a, they even got close to scoring a goal. Everybody would stand up. So I couldn't see anything. And the whole place <laughs> shook. Like it just, it was like, you know, and I'll always have that experience. And I think it's one of the things I think it's good to hear, for example, that, that um, the, the new arena is, is a really great experience. Cause I think that's one of the things that people are always worried about when, the old place goes and they put in the new one is that, is it going to have, is it going to be a nice place to see a game? Yeah, it was incredibly loud, which was the main concern when they built a new building, because the thing with the Coliseum was the roof is very low, which creates a huge sound inside that arena. I mean, I remember being at playoff games in the Coliseum where you would feel the building shaking and because Again, it was an old building, so it's literally it was shaking. It was, you know, it, it was possibly falling apart. Uh, and uh, the new one, they built the ceiling extremely low as well. Everything is very compact, so you don't feel very far from the ice. And it was, it's just a great feeling. And when they scored that overtime goal, the place exploded. I mean, it was so loud, and it's so much fun to just be with all of the fans and just it was. 
I mean, I understand like the desire to be separated under COVID and all that, yeah. but it was so nice to just be in there masked up and, and yeah. enjoying it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I agree. I mean, the, the Flyers are not doing so great this year, and I've never been to a Flyers game yet. I've been to you know multiple ones at the the, the new Boston Garden when I was living uh, near there, um, and I've been meaning to go check one out. Now that, that they're not doing so well, that the, the tickets are a lot cheaper. But oh, yeah. um, <laughs> it is one of the things like this area in the Northeast between like from Boston to DC. There's I think there's six teams that they mm-hmm. play, and um, and and it is that they're all kind of their own like u- unique environment. I mean, like the Devils. I've never been to a Devils game either, but um, you could see the Devils you know, where they play now. I think they used to play Brendan Byrne Arena, which mm-hmm. that one always just seemed like a real exciting place. But now um, the Prudential Center, you can see it from the the Newark uh, Penn Station uh, train stop. Yeah, it's a little bit of a cleaner, a little like a more antiseptic building yeah. than than the old one was. That's for sure. I mean, as an Islander fan, I've never had a reverence for the Garden right. uh, because it's the you know right. the Garden, and you know, I can't stand the Rangers. Um, so like, it was funny as a kid. Like they're like the world's most famous arena. I'm like this garbage. I'm like, right. <laughs> like and like I sit in and I'm like, well wait, it's a game that's played in a in a rectangle and we're sitting in a circle this doesn't make sense like you know like you're you're actually kind of off center when you face the ice and so it's like you know these are the things that like as a non-ranger fan i i you know i i nitpick all these things i get it it's a build history but if you put that building any building in new york city yeah over after 90 years it would also be a famous arena sorry right. it's nothing special about that building yeah. No, I get. I, I've never been. I was thinking because um the the Knicks are playing a day game, um the day after my birthday. My birthday is April first, and the second they're playing a day game. And I was thinking I might just shoot up there, um and and just because just go see. I think they're playing Cleveland, which I have a feeling that ticket's going to get more and more expensive as Cleveland's playing better. But um just to have been to a game there and see one, um uh, just to, you know just to say like I was in Madison Square Garden. But I get it too. In your case, like yeah, it's kind of like I mean, it's, I mean it's like for me as a, as a going up as a Red Sox fan, I went to Yankee Stadium. Um, and it's like, yeah, I, I mean, it, it was good to have gone. And I definitely like, while I was sitting there, I was like, wow, this place is huge. Cause Fenway is like just oh, jammed pillbox. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, it's very uncomfortable. It's not, I mean, it, it growing up near Fenway and, and, you know, having, you know, that be my park. I had this idea that this is what, you know, the baseball is a very uncomfortable experience that like, you're, you know, <laughs> you're sitting on these hard wooden chairs, you know, that you're just, you know, and also it was not as clean, you know, like the, the bathrooms were just these long troughs, so, oh, yeah. you know, and it's just like, you know, now it's like this very clean antiseptic experience, like you said. And um, I think it's like one of those things where everybody who's a baseball fan should just go to one game at Fenway to say you did it. But, you know, as a park, it's like, you know, uh, you know, like Yankee, the new Yankee stadium is definitely, I hate, you know, as a Red Sox fan, I shouldn't admit it, but it's like, you know, it's just so big and it's more comfortable and you've got Monument Park. But there's this part of me as I'm watching the game where I'm like, I'm a Red Sox fan, you know, like this is, you know, like, I can't watch, you know, I really, one of the things was um, that when they in- introduced the Mariners, they mm-hmm. used the evil empire music. And I'm like, no, the Yankees are the evil empire. Like, what, what, <laughs> like, they're, they're the, that's like what the, the, ra- the, the Mariners are like the, the quirky rebel upstarts, you know, um, <laughs> But but I think that's part of it is that yeah like it's probably the same thing when you go into Madison Square Garden where it's like okay yes I get it like everybody you know I I, I can say I've been in here to see a game and all of that but it's like okay I'm still a, an Islanders fan yeah I mean I had the Coliseum sorry guys you know, that's a real building where you they won four <laughs> Stanley Cups in a row yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes.
Yeah, and I mean, it is. I think that was that's one of those environments that, like, like the said, like the old garden. Um, you know, I was trying to think of some others. I know, you know, here in Philly, the Spectrum. I know my my wife. Um, when they opened the new place, they kept the Spectrum open and they had minor league hockey there. Mm-hmm. Um, and so like her dad had season tickets in the '70s when they won the cup, and he was able to take her to where they sat. Mm-hmm. Um, and and so yeah, it's it, those old places. It's like yeah, you you just you know I, I think there was just something about that era of hockey in particular that you know sort of like the old divisions of Adams Patrick, um, you know and and that the Northeast in particular the teams. I think that's one of the problems with hockey. I think is that it is it, easy to sort of like sort of be exclusionary and be like oh, okay, yeah. no, this is this, this is where really you know I mean I guess Detroit you can sort of include in that and um, um but it's like yeah it's almost like these rivalries whether it was you know Boston Montreal or like yeah the, the three New York metro teams the two Pennsylvania teams it's like um you know there's something about that era of hockey definitely has a regional feel to it yeah and that's it's a northeastern thing it's definitely hockey is it's huge in the northeast and I mean I even felt it when, like, when going to Montreal, I went to the Montreal Forum, which um, is no longer, obviously, the arena anymore. The arena is now the Bell Center, but they turned the Forum into a mall. And so it's like I was in a building where they won all these Stanley Cups, and I'm in – there's actually, like, a comedy – like, a a comedy store. Like, it's like – it's like – and it's like, this is weird. Like, like you you just turned – a like a sh- like it'd be like what if Yankee Stadium became like a uh, chuckle hut like you know like right. that that's wrong and yet right. Montreal did it and if anybody's gonna respect hockey history it's Montreal right. and yet they're just like yeah we'll turn this into a mall and it's like no that doesn't work for me <laughs> right exactly because yeah because you think of like the old Yankee Stadium I think that that's the parking lot right from where the new one is um, yeah and, and at least you can say like okay you know it's you know right they didn't turn it into something like that. Um, <laughs> Because, yeah, like, I remember, like, the, the Whalers watching Whalers games. Um, that uh, arena is still there, the XL Center. Um, mm-hmm. But they had had a mall attached to their um, – Oh, yeah. And so, yeah, growing up, because, you know, um, there were two Boston sports channels. Um, and so the Nesson, the main one that had, like, the Red Sox and, and, and the Bruins, there was that one. And then the other one that's now N- NBC Sports, they would carry the Whalers games. Um, and so it was almost like I had – it was almost like kind of being in New York where you have multiple – home teams mm-hmm. it was weird it was it almost like we had two home teams and they would show like people walking around the mall at, you know sort of in between periods and things like that and the idea of that just to me was just so crazy and i guess they've, they've since torn down the mall part of it they just yeah just excel center but um it's almost kind of funny how like almost like i wonder if montreal was inspired by that like when they would play you know road games there in, in Hartford, if they were like huh you know now that we're getting rid of the form, turn into a mall right the small <laughs> thing seems to work for, for Hartford. <laughs> Oh, excellent. Well, well, Rez, it was great having you on the show here. Uh, this was a lot of fun. Um, and, um, Absolutely. Yeah, thank you, everybody, for listening. Um, we'll see maybe what we have coming up next time if we have – I want to say this was a bad movie. It's just it's, it, it, it's, it's hard to say, like, if this was a bad movie or it was just – again, the ending, I think, just kind of reversed a lot of the good. I think it was a good experience, a bad movie. <laughs> All right, that's a good way to say it. I think that's the, the perfect way to leave it. All right, excellent. Well, thank you, everybody. We'll, we'll come back soon. Thank Bye. you.
redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner.